morning and good morning from Sleepless in Dubai. My name's Julie Mallon. I'm the founder of Nurture to Sleep. And I am so happy to be here this morning. We're live from 25 Hours Hotel. And a little bit about my background in that I'm a midwife, a former um, registered nurse, and a health visitor, which is all about child psychology, child development, sleep, but sleep being the biggest factor here, all things sleep for parents and children. And I'm the mother of three incredible daughters. And now I'd like to hand you over to my co-host, Laura. Yes, my name is Laura Buckwell and I'm an international event MC, broadcast journalist and former news anchor and most importantly, a mother of two. And we are incredibly fortunate today to have on our podcast the wonderful Rhea, who is the founder of They Say It Takes a Village podcast. Hello and welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Julie, for having me. Well, welcome. It's this, very exciting. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited. This is amazing. And I feel like doing this about sleep is incredible. So for anyone listening, tell us a little bit about yourself. What keeps you busy today? And how did you get to the point where you're at right now? Definitely. Um, me. Okay. So I am Iraqi born. I grew up here in Dubai. So my family has been here for about 29 years. Um, First and foremost, I'm a mom of two little boys, um, which Julie has helped me with tremendously. <laughs> um, I work in the healthcare uh, industry. That's my sort of day job. Um, but I do have, they say it takes a village, which is a podcast aimed to sort of create the proverbial village here in the UAE um, with all things to do with parenting, you know, sort of from the beginning, so right from birth, all the way to honestly teenagers and even adulthood and universities, as well as things for mothers and dads. And yeah, just to kind of almost have, do you, do you remember getting like a, back in the day, I don't know if the younger listeners would know this, but you know, the yellow pages? Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. Oh, it's the yellow pages. That was the idea to have like a yellow pages or directory of experts and, you know, sort of people that you could potentially reach out to here in the UAE to kind of help you along the way. Because, yeah, great idea. Yeah, but you can't you can't do it alone. I'm I'm sure I mean we all have kids and I'm pretty sure, you know, it's it, there's a lot of people involved and you can't raise them alone. It's solo parenting is a really hard one. And I and I do say see that on a daily basis where, you know, we've got parents who are new parents, their babies are very young. They may be, you know, one week old, they may be six week old, they may be twelve weeks old. Yeah. Now, again, in that element, it would never, ever be any kind of sleep coaching, but it would be sleep shaping. But you see the isolation and you see the loneliness of parents because oh God. parenting is, you know, one of the most wonderful things you'll ever do. But it's also very lonely and especially at four in the morning. And then no one talks about that either. Oh. And you do, you feel so lonely. Am I doing this right? Why, are, you know, why am I not communicating like I used to to friends and things? And it's just never talked about. Well, that was it. I remember, and I think that was the sort of spark. Um, I had Laith, which is my oldest, who's five now. Um, and I remember sitting, I remember that day so distinctly. I swear, I think it was like a Wednesday. A Wednesday, three o'clock in the morning, he must have been about four weeks old. And I was, you know, obviously had no idea. I was just, I just became a mother. And I was trying to feed him and I, I was trying to breastfeed him. And I was getting so frustrated. I was so engorged, so uncomfortable, sleep deprived. My husband was sleeping, so that built a whole nother level of resentment. <laughs> but there was that point of complete and utter isolation. And keep in mind, I was around my family and friends, they live here. So we are in a place where it's a, it's a beautiful country that's hosted all of us to come and work and live and raise our kids. But 
the majority of the people that live here are away from friends and family. And you don't know who to reach out to. And I remember listening to a podcast specifically about breastfeeding and thinking, okay, good. That's a good tip. That's a good tip. That's a good tip. And then it ended. And I thought, what, what happens next? What about the latch? How can, what, how do I know if they've got a tongue tie? Um, and I didn't know who to reach out to here because it's not like I had a community. But again, that was the spark. But again, you know, like you're saying, even though you had family here, yes. it was still really challenging. Absolutely. And it is almost like there's a conspiracy. Yes. Where nobody really tells you how hard it's going to be. Yeah, they don't. Because it is hard. It is hard. And I think if we were prepared, if we could get that message out as well, a little bit more that, yes, it's hard, but you can get through it too. And it's how just you we all get this time will pass and i know that sounds a really irritating yeah. but it, it does and it will absolutely and then the other thing is parents who come here from different countries within their own country you have the signposts of where to go when you need help for here here and here but then when you arrive in a new country yeah. you haven't but equally you have been brought up here yeah and the signposts weren't even there absolutely so. not and that's that that is where i find there's this you know, duality in, in parenthood. It's a wonderful, wonderful, the most blessing sort of experience. But also on the other side, you have no idea what you're doing, especially first time around. And if you don't have, you know, sort of the moms and the grandparents and the cousins and the babies, and you don't see them kind of in that space, you really don't know. And that is an isolated thing. And that's exactly what happened to me. It's just be my sister and my, my family, but we're all adults. We weren't really around children. And despite the fact, I mean, I would ask my mom, but I mean, she's got, you know, whatever, 30, 40 years of, of information. So well, that's the thing. You, you do turn to your parents, don't you, your mom, and you're like, oh, you know, why doesn't she know all this stuff? You yeah. have like three kids. <laughs> How come you don't know that? And of course, it's like years and years ago. Absolutely. We're just going to forget. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I found the first few months incredibly hard and latching and the thing is, you want the communication from friends and family, but then you're so exhausted at the same time. It's like, well, I can't see you guys anyway. You know, I, I felt that in the first yeah. three months. Yeah. But, you know, you've got so much going on. You've got this day job. You've got a podcast. You've got a, you're a mum of two boys. Which I'm sure exhausted are very lively. <laughs> Little boys are always very lively, aren't they? They are. Um, so how do you manage it all? And how, you know, we're, we're on sleep podcast. Yeah. So how do you sort of prioritize sleep as well? To be honest, I think early on... Um, you know, I connected with Julie. So I was lucky enough to to do that with Julie. And to be honest, I think every single first time parent thinks, well, I mean, sleep. I mean, they just close their eyes and then go to sleep when they're tired. That's just the way it is. No, it's not. It's exactly what I said no, it's not. the other day. Yeah. A bombshell. Yeah. Because, I mean, honestly, I have so much respect for it now. And, you know, you have no clue. Baby sleep, toddler sleep preschooler sleep, adolescent sleep, adults are completely different. No, no. So that early on, I, I somehow, I think the stars aligned and I connected with Julie very, very early. And she kind of honestly walked me through everything. I mean, to the point where, you know, we sort of met when they were about five months and yeah. then we waited till they were five and a half months. And then we started sort of sleep shaping them. And I, without a huge big testimonial, but it changed my life. And because of that, I was able to kind of, no one can function off sleep. I mean, I, I don't care who you are. If you've got three to four hours sleep, you are not at your best, yeah. no matter what. And, and the science is really, really there. And, you know, there's lots of, it, 
when we talk about sleep, it is so emotive, particularly any kind of sleep coaching, sleep training. There are only two camps. It's either cry it out or not. Yep. Um, and it needn't be like that. And equally, we all cope and function so much better when we've had sleep. So no parent should be feel that, well, it's just got to be like this. I've just got to put up with not having sleep for the next X number of yeah. three years. You you don't have to put up with it. And it also, you know, gather your information like you would do in your workspace. Gather your information and then find your journey that absolutely. fits well with you. Yeah. But you absolutely don't need to grin and bear it. Yes, yeah. you don't. There are definitely options out there, but it is very emotive. You know, and it's depressing when you think I have enough sleep as well. Oh my god, I feel so sad the next day, and it's just, and it is what you think about is sleep and just I just those early years with yeah. the kids and babies is it is yeah. and that was it's a lot. That, that's that's really interesting though about depressing. There's um, a system within our body, the valence system, and the studies are very clear that when we don't get enough sleep, it numbs this system, and we don't get as much joy out of. Um, our experiences so you know normally if something happens in a really positive way we would experience that in a very positive way but actually when we are sleep deprived this valiant system it actually has a name to it um, that is really numbed down and then the same for our children as well there, were, there was a wonderful wonderful study about um, children napping and they you know had two groups children who napped and children who didn't and their their mood was considerably greater from the children who slept and had the nap. But not only, interestingly, was the children, their mood greater, but also their speech and language was also better because of the encoding. When, we're, when our children are napping, they're actually encoding that information. So, you know, we want to do what's best for our children. So we mustn't feel guilty that we're being selfish and putting ourselves first. You're not, you know. I definitely parent better if I'm... If yeah, I'm absolutely. Um, and that's, a, I mean, to basically to circle back to your question, that's in putting sleep forward was taking the proper steps to make sure that I recognize I need the help because I think everybody does. Babies don't sleep and that they're notorious for not sleeping. So I needed to sort of call in the big guns yeah. and help me get that underway. So just to, you know, elaborate a little bit with with the work that you have and the children, and the podcast, how do you manage that? Would you say you had, not a formula as such, but a formula, but how do you manage it? Because, of course, sleep, I, I am very aware that sleep, thankfully for you and your family, is very, very important. Uh, yeah. So how do you manage it? So, I mean, obviously, we've, we've stuck to prioritizing sleep. I think, again, managing things, or sort of time management can be done, if you have slept well, I'm a, it, that's the only thing that works for me. So there are nights where, of course, you know, you sort of, the kids are asleep, but you you, you spent a little bit extra time sort of either doing stuff for the podcast or, or just relaxing and Netflix and chilling. And that sort of runs on to 11 or 12. The next morning, I'm at my most unproductive because I'm exhausted and the kids yeah. get up fairly early. So in order to time manage or to have all of these things running quite smoothly, it really is to prioritize sleep. So to say to myself, you know what, it's approaching 10. I'm going to switch this off. I'm going to go into bed. I might do something along the lines to sort of calm down, get that good sleep. I find my magic is between 9.45 and 10.30. If I'm asleep by at that time, 
the next morning, I'm honestly, I'm ready. You know, whether it's the podcast, whether it's the work, whether it's the kids, my, the, 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 the scope of my, I don't know, capability expanded. So that takes quite a lot of discipline, doesn't it? It does. It does. It does. Because, yeah, you get stuck in something on TV. You that's do. really and there's, and there's always, there's always going to be a moment where I'm like, oh, I just want to live my life. Like, what is it like after 1130? <laughs> but of course you do have those days. And I think it's, I think it's probably best to say that if I know I've got a really full on day, if I'm recording an episode super early in the morning, if I've got a very early work meeting, if, if I've got you know, a kid's birthday and a play date and drop this and do that. I'm not going to be as, yeah, I'm not going to sleep at midnight or 1am, but I am going to get that early night. But of course, if it's the weekend and, you know, we go out to dinner or whatever it is, it's okay. I'm a little bit tired, but I'm not really planning to be as productive as I want to be that day. So you kind of pick, you know, you were talking about Netflix and my, you know, what's your little, I mean, if you think about the CEO of Netflix, He actually said, we are going to wage war on sleep. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's not only for that. I mean, yeah. Completely well, won. No, man. That's yeah. so funny. Yeah, he actually said that. I mean, it is, again, undermining the value of sleep. And it, again, it's seeing people as commodities, not actually looking and building that community. Yeah. You know, there would be a greater authenticity of him if he said, you know, okay, so we want everyone to watch the screen, but actually not at the cost of your health. They should have like a timer, like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. It should bed. be like a curfew, gluten yeah. yeah. a certain time, like you can't go past it. I'm pretty sure there'd be more productive people in the world if they did. But also, you'll um, get off to the Seychelles soon. Yeah. We're very jealous. I'm very jealous. So do you have any sort of sleep routines when you travel at all with your kids and your family, or are you quite relaxed? I mean, there is has to be a degree of flexibility, but the, the fundamentals are still there. So, so for example, I've got... Um, you know, Lace is a little bit bigger, so he's he's five and a half. So we've kind of got the sleep routine fairly straightforward. Plus, I mean, he's getting to the point where he's kind of like, I'm a bit tired. I'm, I'm okay to go to sleep. Um, but with Zane, you know, it, he is two and a half and we are still on a one nap uh, routine. So, mm-hmm. for example, on the plane, I keep thinking about that because I'd like to get the nap in because I don't want the overtiredness to hit when we land and it's bedtime. So I know I'm being quite pedantic. So, for example, our flight's in the middle of the day which I really like. Yeah, that's a good option. option. Yeah. yeah. Time. Yes. So we are in a nap time. We do hit a nap time. So I was thinking of just maybe putting on his sleeping bag, putting him next to me and just seeing if he'll fall asleep. However, if he doesn't fall asleep, I'm not going to freak out and cry. I will then just move on to like an earlier bedtime and then just fingers crossed and hope for the best. And then we try again the next morning or the next day. At Mirabelle, passion fuels global connections. For more than 30 years, our international team has launched campaigns across continents through targeted marketing strategies, captivating promotions, and innovative media solutions tailored to brands ranging from fashion to travel and tourism to health and well-being, and so much more. Let our cross-cultural experience engage your audiences. Discover the Mirabelle difference at mirabelle.co.uk. So there are, I mean, in the, always in the back of my mind, honestly, I do it selfish, selfishly because I really want to sleep. Exactly. Don't we all? Exactly. Um, but I know, I kind of understand that, okay, no, he does need enough. He might be overtired. So maybe we do something a bit more calmer. I'm not going to get them to get into Seychelles and go, go, go on the beach. It might be just a, a calmer afternoon yeah, activity. That's really important. Yeah. And then just keep those things in the back of my mind, early bedtime, 
Fingers crossed that we are not going. But it is about recognising going to the airport, the lighting in all airports is super, super bright. Yeah. So that overstimulates the child's brain even more so than us. So before you even get onto the plane, he is much more stimulated than normal. Yeah. And there's all the excitement of the airport. So basically his brain is up here. And then, so what you want to do is, you know, burn off as much energy with him yeah. as possible, but equally to make sure that those two or three days before he is as well rested as he can be. Fingers crossed. Because then he will be able to cope with a little bit of a shorter sleep. Is this for a day flight though? Yeah. What about night flights? Oh, gosh, the time. same scenario. So for a night flight, um, it is, yes, getting as much rest as possible before you go, having very realistic expectations, not to worry about people because most people have um, noise-cancelling headphones. So don't worry about them. If your child's awake, your child's awake. And if they complain, they're not very nice people anyway. Absolutely. So who, agree. You know. But, um, yes, that routine, even on the plane, and that's why like one of the best positive sleep associations for both adults and children, not just children, is the white noise, yeah. for example. So bring your white noise on the plane and play that, and it signals to the brain. But it needs to be a very strong sleep association at home. So therefore, when you have a variable such as being on the plane, then it will work. But it it does work for them. It really does. And just, you know, I didn't say eating on the plane, the food on the plane. You know, the calories of food that we eat on the plane are very different. Um, the average number of calories for a six-hour flight do you know how many? I'm probably better oh, slow because they eat nuts and dessert and, and bread and everything. It's full of um, salt. And it's just how, how much of salt? Is it like a 2,000 calories? No. 1,100. Oh, my God. And it's, and it's because... Gosh, I thought you had a full chocolate cake. <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's at such high altitude, the food wouldn't taste of anything. So they have to put extra fat, extra salt, extra sugar. Oh, so for the... Oh, my God. <laughs> but that's why for your children, if you are, you know, if you have a good diet for your children at home and then we go into the plane and they eat the food on the plane, they're off the walls because they're not used to all that sugar. Gosh. So as a child, did you hear this? Oh my God, change the menu now. Well, they can't, you know, it, it's to compensate for being that high. Being that high. They so want the that. food to taste. Now, yeah. I just think we need to know about it so then you can make a choice whether you give it to you, bring your own food for your children. It's it's not great for us, but it's particularly not great for our children. So, so things like that we need to I be just, aware of. Like you should give me a piece of uh, paper and a pen. I need to write these down. When get there, I'm uh, shocked. And then one other little uh, um, sideline that I would I also say to parents, and they love it, and that is prior to you going on your flight, go into you know I don't know the early learning some early learning center or somewhere. Get a couple of presents, small presents, little gifts and gift wrap each of them. And then you take them out periodically. And the child honestly is so happy unwrapping this present thing. What is in here? And it just gives you an extra 15, 20 minutes and 15 minutes on a to plane. To potentially wolf down the 3,000 calories that you've been given. <laughs> exactly. But it's really helpful. So now as a professional host um, of your own podcast and as a professional within the capacity of your work too, and as a parent, where is your growth? How would you define the growth within you? I think obviously as a parent, it's making sure that you celebrate wins, parenting wins, whatever that may look like in the different households. Um, so that I think is, I think that's a very personal thing. You know, for, for me, it would be, you know, if Leith, you know, was very, very kind to his brother, 
I would be like, yes, I, I'm doing something right. Mm-hmm. So it's taking that moment, high-fiving my husband and, you know, sort of celebrating that. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to, I have to say, though, professionally, I am in the healthcare space. So um, I do sort of, um, I, I'm, I do clinical education for diagnostic ultrasounds. So that aspect, you know. Wait, of, sorry, you can't brush over that. What do you do? I'm a application specialist. So I uh, teach or support um, doctors and nurses in different hospitals around the UAE as to how to use an ultrasound, how to use that particular brand of ultrasound, and how to sort of educate them on ultrasound. And Such stuff. a valuable skill. It's amazing. It's cool. It's cool. And that's in terms of professionally, I feel like I got to the point where I learned so much. And you know, you're, now we're in a world of AI and how that's being, being implemented. So technology-wise, I feel, you know, especially when it comes to medicine and sort of that medical technology, that's always expanding. So in terms of growth, it, it's working, you know, it, on its own thing. Then you've got a little pivot with the podcast. And I find personal growth in itself, that would probably be the one thing that I was, number one, extremely worried about and a bit scared because growth is a bit scary. Um, but it was one thing that I thought to myself, you know, it would be really cool if I just take that one step. And when that one step was taken, I think, okay, that was, that was great. You know, nothing happened, you know, no big disasters. Let's take the the next. That was a huge testament to going and really going outside the box in my comfort zone. So now looking back, it's been a year and I keep thinking to myself, okay, I think we're okay. I think growth wise. You know, I am very proud. So this must be, I'm in a growth mindset, I hope. And I mean, it feels good for me. And it, you know, you get to the point where you're, you know, when you start to motivate yourself. So you think, okay, I've got to this point. It would be really nice to, to, you know, go to the next step. And that is the growth. And I'm thinking, how can I get to that next step? And that that growth mindset is so important as for our children too. Yeah. And, you know, so much of the work that I do is about creating that growth mindset to helping parents as opposed to the fixed mindset. And the person who really is the leader in in the field of growth mindset is somebody called Carol Dweck. Now, it's really interesting. She is a um, a lead lecturer at uh, Stanford University. I recently have just completed a course in child development and mental health, and they were talking about growth mindset. And Carol Dweck was nowhere on this course. So again, it really reminded me of how hard it is for parents. Carol Dweck is an absolute leader in her field, and yet education is not telling you about this person. So, you know, you recognizing your growth mindset within you, you're modeling that for your children. And that's so important. I think it's so important that you said that because it's not about taking, you know, moving in leaps and bounds. It's whatever is comfortable with you. There is obviously discomfort because naturally, I mean, podcasts and this whole space is not what I studied at university. It's not what I do professionally in my my actual career. But it's that that t- that one step that I did that led to so much growth in a very short space of time. Not to say that, you know, we're Joe Rogan here, but it's also at the same time, it is something that, you know, you you have the job and you've got the kids and you've got the podcast and nothing has fallen to pieces. Yeah, and it's and as you said, it's like baby steps and baby these steps. small wins yeah. are absolutely everything yeah. to help you grow because you can't, you know, you can't go sort of leaps and bounds 
and expect to know everything. It's just oh, about God. sort of baby steps. Yeah. Um, but there's another sort of feather to your bow as well. You've become an author. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Co-author. Oh yes, co-author. Oh, author. Yes, Julie. So congratulations to both of you. Um, what sort of messages do you have within the book? And I'm presuming there there's sort of like a sleep element to that as well. Yeah, and I think we both. Yes, I mean, in terms of a sleep element, yes, for sure. There's huge amounts of um, sort of sleep science-based information on there. But I think both of us were really attached to the the, the connection between parents and their little ones right from the beginning. Um, and that's, you know, that's what we had hoped for the book to be um, and hope for the book to be. It's sort of creating that initial connection. A lot of the times you, you don't assume. I think we both are in spaces where we hear parents say, oh, you can't read to a newborn. No, they, they don't need to be read to. But it's having that initial connection literally from birth all the way through. I think that's what we had really wanted to do. And also, you know, about the connection. We know, again, as a midwife... We know that the hearing mechanism in utero of the baby is completed at 16 weeks. And what that means is at 19 weeks, the baby recognises mummy's voice at 19 weeks in utero. And then at 23 weeks, the baby recognises daddy's voice. So when our children come into the world, when these babies come in, they are very, very close to mummy and daddy. And that's why the voice and reading the story right from the beginning is actually a really vital part of building their relationship from the very beginning. Yeah. So that was a, a, a really huge one. Yeah. And then, of course, there's, it's backed by massive sort of research-based information. And, I mean, when you have a look at it, it, every single text that's on there, every single sound that's on there, of course, it's been, you know, Julie has been instrumental in, in um, sort of guiding us about sort of brain development of a particular age group. So... There's so much behind it. It's not just, you know, a baby book. Um, and that's the whole, that's the whole, I feel honestly it's one of its kind without saying it. No, yeah, but that's what you do. Yeah, of course. yeah without you find this be... niche and, you know, you, you find what's sort of missing in the market. Yeah, you know. yeah. But it, it's also it just amplifies it takes a village yeah. because the information that we're putting out there is information that is really going to help the relationship build between a parent and a child. You know, again, it, you know, it's not about being child-centric or being parent-centric. It's actually about being relationship-centric. Yeah. And that's where we're starting from the very beginning. Yeah. So that's very much about the book. Yeah. Amazing. Well, congrats, guys. Thank you so very much. Very excited Cheers. to give that a read. And uh, our final question. Yep. What makes up the perfect night's sleep for you? And is there sort of a process to get there? Yes. I think 100% there's a process. Um, I am a huge believer in... You need, I need, me personally, I need 30 minutes. I need 30 minutes to not, I can't go from whatever I'm doing to bedtime. So it needs to come at, as a gradual thing. So it might be that, you know, I sort of put down the laptop or stop talking to my husband or switch off the TV or whatever it might be, then get into bed. Every month I've got like a book and I could potentially read just one or two pages of the book, but at least I've read the book. So I put the phone away. You know, and you can't help but sort of pick up the phone and, and do the scrolling. But I was really, really, you know, careful to just 30 minutes, put the phone away, 30 minutes at the end of the day, read a couple of pages of the book. I get really sleepy. Right next to me, I've got a silk eye mask. I have to put it on. So if I don't put the silk eye mask on, I won't be able to sleep. So, wow, okay. And it's almost like a little symbolic thing. The silk eye mask goes on. And then I just sit there and I think in my mind, 
I'm like, that's it. It's it's basically it's bedtime. So with with the I usually try to do three pages of the book. I get really tired after that. And that usually takes about half an hour because you're kind of dozing off. And then the eye mask comes on and that's it. It's bedtime for me. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, definitely all of those things apart from the screen. I would definitely, I would definitely put the screen away. Yeah. Yeah. 30. I do in it. Room? Is it in your room? My phone? Yeah. Yeah. And a charger next to me. Yeah. I'm exactly the same with my alarm that's about, you know, that will go. No, go get a proper alarm, please. Take it out of your room. Yeah. She doesn't like the phone in the room. No, it's like, oh, yeah. Again, yeah. so just I'm worried about it. I, so, although that's, I do it, it's a bad habit because in the morning I get up and the first thing I do is look at yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. terrible. It's, but apart from that, apart from the where it puts you in your mood for the day, yeah. it sets you up for your mood. And we know that, again, lots of research that the scrolling actually uh, really brings your mood down, really brings your mood down with just scrolling. Um, but if, you, if, for example, like I remember when, you know, my girls were at university and, you know, in their first year, they've got really small rooms and the Reuter, Reuter was the only place we could really put it was under their bed. Now that I know what I know, it, having that under their bed it actually changes the ions in your body. Oh my God! It, it, we need to take it out of the room. Get your phone away. And invariably, when your phone is being charged, it's at the level of your brain. True. Yeah. So please. Anyway, but <laughs> change. We are in so much trouble. <laughs> so just to conclude, and honestly, the thoughts that were going through my head as we were having this conversation was how remarkable the plasticity of our brain is and what it takes for us to be human. I mean, the work that you're doing, the podcast, the book we're doing together, you as a mother, you as a wife, you know, it's not to say that we can have it all because we're not saying that, but we can say if you, if you, if that makes you feel better, then do it. So with that, I want you to reset, recharge, and you can conquer anything that you want to do. Thank you.